Welcome to the 107th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the, top of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, and we'll recap a few more bowl games as well as week 16 of the NFL season. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start in the NBA where Patrick went 2-2 two and two in his predictions. Similarly, in the NFL, Patrick went 2-2, two and two, and in NCAA basketball, Patrick went 1-1 one and one because two of the games that he predicted were canceled. And in NCAA football, as we mentioned last time, Patrick's predictions will be tracked via his predictions for the entire bowl game season and counted up and detailed at the end. So overall, Patrick was 5-5 five and five in this past weekend's predictions, which brings him to a 280 and 205 overall record, a 57.7% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, all of those uh, college basketball games were on Thursday. Uh, well, they were supposed to be. Uh, two of them did get canceled. That was Butler versus St. John's and George Mason versus Wisconsin. The two games that did not get canceled were Liberty against Stanford uh, and BYU against Vanderbilt in the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic in Hawaii. Although, ironically enough, after these games, the next round was actually postponed entirely, except for, I believe, a game between Vanderbilt and Stanford that played. Or no, actually, it was the game between BYU and Liberty from the losers of those two games. All the rest of the games of the tournament got canceled due to those other teams getting COVID, and Hawaii had COVID issues, and then I think Stanford had COVID issues. And then, um, I no, Vanderbilt didn't, but they couldn't play because of Stanford in any way. A lot of COVID problems there, and then obviously the other two games that got postponed were entirely independent, not in that event. But um, I'm lucky I even had a single game because it could have been, if these games were one day later, there wouldn't have been any of those games as the next round was all postponed, um, except for that one game. But in the NBA, I picked all the Christmas Day, well, I picked four of the five Christmas Day games. I left the Hawks and Knicks alone, although maybe I should have uh, put it in there somewhere because I would have gotten that one right. Uh, I put my faith in the Lakers, which is a terrible decision. Don't put your faith in the Lakers. Never do it. They're not good. They're not going to win any more games for the rest of the year. They're going 16 and 66 on the year. Just don't even. They're going on the longest winning losing streak of all time is is, is honestly the way it's trending. Um, obviously, it's not actually going to happen. Uh, but the Lakers have many problems. We, I talked about that last time. We'll talk about that again uh, next Friday for sure. So I'll, I'll, save, my, uh, I'll save my ammunition on that one. Um, but... The Nets played well shorthanded. Uh, I also didn't really know who was playing in that game whatsoever, so I figured the three stars of the Nets, who all kind of had 50-50 shots to play, I'd rather at least take the fact that we knew LeBron was going to play, so at least I knew one star was going to be playing. I had to go with that team. Uh, The Suns and Warriors came down to the very end of the game. Uh, The Suns were down by two, and Otto Porter ended the game on a personal 7-0 run. So credit to him for having really, really the, the best moment of Christmas Day, honestly. Uh, Bucks made a comeback from 19 points down. They were losing the entire first half. We're down at the half, I think, by 15 points. Uh, came back to win that game. It was a great game. Uh, really, really fun overall. Great play by Giannis uh, overall and really their whole big three for the Bucks. And then the Mavericks Jazz. The Mavericks had an early lead, but the Jazz really played it back and forth for the rest of the game and were able to seal it at the end. And then in the NFL... Uh, blame my losses on bad quarterback play, I guess. Uh, 49ers were up 10 to nothing, and Jimmy Garoppolo just decided that he wanted some entertainment on a Thursday night, so he had to make the game that he was playing in really close to watch from the sidelines. So he chose to uh, throw a pick on the 10-yard line, 
uh, when he could have, A, thrown the ball away or B, for another down uh, when they were, I think, in goal to go. I think it was second and goal uh, that he decided to throw in a double coverage and not even throw it to George Kittle, but throw it directly to uh, the Titans defender uh, in the red zone. Uh, gave the Titans all the momentum they could have gotten, and also later in the game decided to throw another pick on their own 20-yard line when they were up 10 to nothing. Uh, the first pick, I think, was when they were up 7 to nothing only, but could have extended the lead there. Could have been 10 to nothing. Then it could have been 13 to nothing. And then A.J. Brown just came alive in the second half, and we'll talk about that one later. Uh, but could have won that game pretty easily. Uh, picked against the Colts, I was really, really struggling with this game because... The Cardinals just feel like even though they always have late season struggles and they have under Cliff Kingsbury, it just feels like they're still too good to lose this many games in a row, especially with one game at home on Christmas Eve in primetime. But apparently they are that bad. Uh, and they're really just, I mean, they handed the Rams the division at this point. But again, we'll talk about that later too. Uh, then you had the Bengals playing against probably the most depleted secondary of all time against the Ravens. We'll talk about the results of that, but the Bengals easily won that game. And the Bills went on the road and won in Foxborough. This was one of the ones that I was really hesitant to uh, pick because it's hard to pick against the Patriots when they're playing in Foxborough with a good team. And that's what happened this year. And finally, it seems like there might be a changing of the guard in the, in the AFC East. You have a year where the Patriots are really challenging about as hard as they can. And looks like the Bills are still going to somehow pull away with it after a few struggles. All right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Now let's turn our attention to college football with a look at some more early bowl game action. First, starting off with some uh, canceled games, Memphis and Hawaii. The Hawaii Bowl that's normally played on Christmas Eve was canceled. Boston College, East Carolina, which was supposed to be today, was canceled. But the Christmas Day game did go on. Georgia State beat Ball State 51-20. to Not too much to talk about there other than the fact that the MAC continues to struggle in bowl games. UCF pulling off the upset, beating Florida 29-17, crowning themselves, and frankly, I think rightfully so, as the best team in Florida this year, because if you didn't make a bowl game, you can't really talk in that conversation, so too bad for Florida State. And uh, I, I think, honestly, one of the things that's, very, very, that's been very important, especially at the end of the year, is controlling your COVID cases, and Miami hasn't been able to do that, and uh, I'm not so sure they would have won their bowl game anyway. Um, I think I did have them picked, but... It was a 50-50 there, and UCF has a 9-4 record and a win against Florida, so I think we can crown them best, uh, the state champions of Florida, unofficially, because we don't do that in college, but if you want to treat it like high school, then yes, UCF are your state, or your Florida state champions. Um, then you have Miami of Ohio, not that Miami, winning 27-14 over North Texas. I believe they were the first MAC team to win a bowl game this year. Uh, they were 0-5 going into it as a conference. Uh, including Kent State's loss to Wyoming, 52-38. Army came back to beat Missouri, 24-22. Probably the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen out of an SEC team in a bowl game is allowing a service academy to run the two-minute drill, and not only run the two-minute drill, but run it with a third-string quarterback, and not even in two minutes, but in one minute and 19 seconds. Don't ask me how it happened. Uh, you just, you're just going to have to go watch the game, but... Uh, I'm glad Army won because I had them picked in this game. But other than that, and I mean, Army had a good season and, you know, some disappointment at the end of their game in the Navy. But at least they get to carry some momentum into next year with uh, with this bowl game win. And then they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder when it comes to the Army-Navy game next year. Then you have San Diego State and UTSA. Uh, San Diego State beating UTSA 38-24 to in the battle of the 
who cares about the team that went almost undefeated at the bottom of the AP rankings that the college football playoff gave no respect all year to uh, bowl game. Obviously it's a very unofficial name, but uh, San Diego state pulls out that win played a good game. I mean, UTSA didn't really put up too much of a fight, especially on the defensive end. Um, and San Diego state just won the game. Uh, and then you have Western Michigan winning 52 to 24 over Nevada. Nevada had a lot of receivers out in this game for Many, many reasons, and let's just say it's hard to run an air raid offense when you don't have receivers. All right, well, what about your most impressive players? I will start with Levi Williams of Wyoming, who is now in the transfer portal. 9 of 11, passing 127 yards for with a touchdown, and also 16 carries for 200 yards and 4 touchdowns. Uh, I guess you can call him a dual threat, and maybe you don't even call him a dual threat. Maybe he's just a running back. Uh, maybe Army should look at him as a quarterback option. He would make that offense really, 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 really good. Uh, but a, a good play a good play by Levi Williams to lead Wyoming to their bowl win, and uh, eventually his transfer is leading their coach to post a want, basically a help-wanted sign on, on uh, social media asking for a new quarterback for next year, but... We'll see how that one turns out. We'll see who goes there. Uh, some notable names have, have already not gone to Wyoming, obviously, including Bo Nix going to Oregon. There's a lot of big transfers that have come off the board already, but uh, maybe Wyoming will find a quarterback eventually. Uh, moving on, Jesse Matthews from San Diego State. 11 receptions, 175 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he, I think he had 650 receiving yards going into the game, and San Diego State was not a heavy passing offense. He nearly got a third of his entire season total in one game, and that was what UTSA's problem was. They couldn't stop Jesse Matthews. They lost the game because of it. All right, that wraps up the look at uh, this last week's bowl action for college football. Now let's turn our attention to the NFL with our weekly review. And Patrick, let's start off with the best games of Week 16. Starting with the Raiders, who got a, uh, a scrappy win against the Broncos, 17-13, Controlled most of the game and really just had some issues with turnovers in the first half. They were down 13-7 to at half, uh, but shut out the Broncos in the second half. Drew Locke, as I said, is obviously not the Broncos franchise quarterback, and frankly, nor is Teddy Bridgewater. I think that's been proven this season because the Broncos have higher expectations than, you know, staying around 500, and I think it's pretty obvious that they could do better if maybe they drafted and tried to develop another quarterback maybe under the wing of Teddy Bridgewater even, but... Probably not good enough to lead them to the playoffs consistently. When you look at the AFC right now, he's not even going to get them to the playoffs, period. Because there are a lot of good teams in this division. Or not even in the, well, in this division alone, yeah, but in the AFC West. But this conference is loaded and not a lot of the talent is old either. I mean, Patrick Mahomes seems like the veteran of this, of the AFC. And he is not old at all. He's very, very, very young. But... We'll get to the overall in the AFC later. Uh, then you had the fun snow game. Who doesn't like to watch games in the snow? Uh, pretty much irrelevant for anything other than the fact that the Seahawks were eliminated from playoff contention by the one and only comeback kid himself, Nick Foles, with the 25-24 win for the Bears. His first might be his only start of the year. He gets the win for the Bears in the snow in Seattle. Uh, and Matt Nagy... Uh, maybe to the maybe maybe to the dismay of Bears fans, might have saved his job by being a little bit gutsy and going for two, uh, and getting the team to five wins. Maybe if he was four and maybe if he was four and eleven, they might fire him even earlier. But maybe five and ten might give them some hope again that he can win with that if he can win with Foles. Maybe he can win with Fields next year. But uh, 
I think Bears fans might hope that they don't think that way, but we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Then you have the Rams, who really won despite Matt Stafford, uh, in spite of him. I mean, 30 points, putting up 30 points when your quarterback throws three interceptions with only one touchdown is a pretty good outcome. I think if you told Rams fans heading into the day they'd lose a turnover battle by two, Stafford would throw three picks, and they'd win by seven. Um, I think they'd say they are very happy because I'm a Rams fan and I'm very happy. So I think there's your answer. I'm the only evidence you need. Uh, a good win by the Rams on the road. And we'll talk about what it meant for their division, uh, NFC West divisional campaign later. Then you have the Packers beating the Browns 24 to 22. Speaking of quarterbacks who threw a lot of interceptions, but this time that didn't get away with it. Uh, Baker Mayfield threw four interceptions and maybe if Stafford had thrown his fourth, Maybe that would have been the straw that broke the camel's back in the Rams game, but Mayfield's fourth was indeed that straw that broke the camel's back. Actually, ironically enough, he would have been driving to score 29 points, close to 30, and the Packers had 24, so actually a pretty similar game. Uh, but difference is the Browns were playing from behind in that game, and uh, on a crucial, I think it was a third down or a fourth down, Donovan Peoples-Jones got held out of his route break, that's for sure. But Baker did not put the ball near him at all, and he threw it right into, I think it was Rasul Douglas's hands, and that was his fourth pick of the day, the first three, and frankly, if he hadn't thrown the first three, he wouldn't have needed to been driving down the field in the two-minute drill to try to win this game off a field goal. He probably could have won it for them a lot earlier, um, but the Packers got a win, 12-3. and They're heading for that one seed. They think they might be able to get the bye. I think they will be able to, uh, but we'll see what happens. All right. Let's go to your most disappointing teams. Starting with the team that lost the Texans this week. That's one way to get on most disappointing teams. Uh, the Chargers put up 29 points. Pretty normal out, uh, output for them. One of the higher scoring teams this week. But their defense gave up 41 points to the Texans. Although I will say one of those uh, one of those touchdowns was a defensive. It was a pick six, actually. So technically the defense didn't give up all of that. And that that's actually on the offense, frankly. Um, but... You don't lose to the Texans. Let's just leave it at that. I think most teams are able to take care of business against the Texans, and really, it almost feels like it's the mark of a young team that you give them the opportunity for the free win, the easy win on their schedule, and that's when they start to let up because they don't have enough intensity, and they're not quite used to just knowing how to go through the motions and yet still do them well enough to win against even terrible teams. It, It looked like the Chargers just felt like they had an easy win and they just let it go away because the Texans actually just cared more scoring 24 points in the fourth quarter uh, to win that game. And by the way, can't do that. If you're the charge, you cannot let that happen. Uh, Even 17 at the half isn't, isn't good against that offense with Davis Mills starting at quarterback. Then I'm going to go with the Cardinals just because it feels like this is going to be a cycle that every single year they're going to start out so hopeful and end the year so terrible uh, they started out 7-0 and this year, and since then, they're 3-5. and That's pretty much all you need to know about their season, and it's been trending in the wrong way. And with this loss against the Colts, after their loss last week against the Lions, I think the thing that I'm most disappointed about is the fact that they had an opportunity to bounce back from the worst loss of the entire season, excluding the Vikings' loss to the Lions, um, and they didn't. They played terrible, and their only real offensive flow was the first drive they had on offense, which they scored a touchdown off of. And then their drive where they got to the 40-yard line of the Colts by a, by a nice trick play on a punt, and then two more trick plays on offense and one jump ball later, and they scored a touchdown. But other than that, they didn't do anything on offense other than 
get Matt Prater in position to miss two field goals and also miss an extra point. Uh, and if you look at that, there were seven points lost in the kicking game and they lost by six. Go figure. Uh, really, again, talk about the fundamentals. Talk about the Chargers losing the easy game because they let up a little bit. This is not necessarily letting up, but this is where you have to make sure that you have all the basics down. You got to get your kicking game down. I mean, it is Matt Prater, so it's not like they can get a better option, honestly. He's one of the best kickers in the league, but it wasn't his day, and he came at a pretty bad time, uh, and that means that they're now in second place in the NFC West. Yeah, and also some questionable coaching at the end of the game. Kicking a field goal on third on and third goal, down. Yeah. when you need two scores, you kick on third and goal, so then you can try to get the onside kick, and, and, and then what? Drive down the field? And you know, I talked about this with the, I, I talked about this with the Chargers last week of going for it over and over again. If you were going to settle for the field goal, you might as well have kicked it on first down and not wasted as much time. Yeah. Or if you were in, if you were intending on getting the touchdown, then you go first, second, and third, and then kick it on fourth if you don't get it. It it's no pretty sense. simple. It makes, it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> it's either all or nothing. Five seconds for, to lose a chance to score a touchdown from inside the ten yard line after I've already lost uh, ten or twelve makes no sense. Yeah, it, it, I mean, again, it, it's also another thing that I'm saying is. Every single year, it's the first seven weeks under Cliff Kingsbury that they've been so great, and late in the season, they haven't been. And that's really a mark of coaching because the well-coached teams start to play a lot better uh, at the end of the year. See Brian Flores and the Dolphins, who were 1-7 to start the year, and, at, well, actually, frankly, they were one, They won their first game and then lost seven in a row. Look at them after week seven. If you, I mean, if you go after week eight, they're 7-0, and and all of a sudden, they're 8-7 and on the season. That's a well-coached team. Bill Belichick and the Patriots hadn't lost a game in forever. The Chiefs haven't lost a game in forever. Still, those are good coach teams. Those are well-coached teams, and that's the effect that they're having. And Cliff Kingsbury just seems like he still feels like it. It still feels like he doesn't quite have his legs under him uh, in the NFL. And as soon as teams see what their plan is for the year, it seems like people just figure them out, and he doesn't adjust enough to really break anybody down. I mean, the difference between the Rams playing the Cardinals the first time they played them around, the first time around that they played them, at home with a full roster was night and day from them playing without Jalen Ramsey, without Dante Dion, with basically the entire secondary out. They played a much, much better game than when they had everybody healthy and they were at home. That makes no sense. So again, I think it's just an issue that they're having. And really, I think it does come down to coaching. I'm not saying Cliff Kingsbury is a bad coach because there are a lot of coaches who can't even get their teams to 10 wins at any point in the year and get seven wins at all. But uh, he's got to do better later in the season, and they still haven't. Uh, but moving on from that, speaking about another team who hasn't done well late in the season, uh, the 49ers looked so good. They had so they had such great momentum riding into this game, up 10 to nothing even in this game. And Jimmy Garoppolo's interceptions just keep costing this team. And I mean, it, it's it's really it, it's honestly inexplicable. I think there's a reason why the Niners drafted Trey Lance, and I think this season is what is is the example of it. I mean. I think the stat out there is that they have one win in a game where he turns the ball over once and they have and I think they're seven and one in the games where he does not turn the ball over at all. All they're asking him to do is not lose a game and they will go out there and win. And all he does is keep losing games because this game 20 to 17, if he didn't throw a pick six, they would have won the game. It's that simple. Uh, they were up 10 to nothing in the third quarter, had the ball threw pick six that you can't do that. Or maybe it wasn't a pick six, but at least it was a pick that led to a touchdown right after. And that's just, that, that, that is the 49ers problem right now. When, when, I mean, if he hadn't turned the ball over at all, let's say they even settled for a field goal in the red zone on that drive that I talked about where they threw a pick in the red zone. 
they could have been 20 to, I mean, it would have been 20 to 20 technically, but also they probably wouldn't have settled for a field goal. They could have just ran the ball a bunch of times, but the reality is you can't just run the ball. You can't be just one dimensional, but what you can do is run the ball and have him throw only safe throws, which is what they've tried to do, but he misses some of the safe throws too. He misses out routes on fourth and fives. I mean, it's really hard to win when you can't even trust your quarterback to make the right read on a fourth and five when a dude's wide open and he throws it to the right of him when he's just sitting down in the zone. I mean, and that, that was a play that happened in this game. So, I mean, I'm just disappointed in how the 49ers uh, can't really figure out how to make it easier. I mean, frankly, at some point you might just start running the ball on fourth and five. I mean, <laughs> it might it might turn out better. Uh, yeah. But I can't say much more about the uh, about the 49ers other than the fact that I'm sad for their defense that their offense keeps letting them down. All right, well, the good news is there's a lot more impressive teams on your list than disappointing teams this week, so let's talk about your most impressive teams. Well, there's a lot of them because there were a lot of blowout wins that were uh, in games that were maybe supposed to be a little bit closer. Uh, the Bengals beat the Ravens 41-21. to This was the most dominant passing attack I think I've ever seen uh, in a game, especially against a team that has a pretty good reputation as a franchise for good defense, although the circumstances this week lead them to not having a great defense if you consider how many uh, players in the secondary that the Ravens had out. But this game was really impressive because it was such an important divisional matchup. I was hesitating to get to, to pick the Bengals in this game in my predictions just because I was thinking about the fact of how young the team is and just that they don't really have that winning culture in place. They have a second-year head coach. Uh, or maybe third year, I guess, in Zach Thomas, a second year quarterback who was missed missed most of, well, not most of, played a kind of majority of the games last year, almost missed half the season with a torn ACL, uh, and was coming back off that torn ACL this season, and then rookie receivers, second year receivers, and the Bengals just keep winning. I mean, it's honestly it's insane to me, and I think there was some stat out there that said that they're the first team to have, I believe it's a 4,000-yard passer, a 1,000-yard rusher, and a 1,000-yard receiver all under the age of 25 in the same season, that being Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, and Jamar Chase. And actually, I think T. Higgins and Jamar Chase both have 1,000 yards receiving this season. But the, the Bengals are ridiculous. I think it's pretty easy to tell. They're, just a, they're, they're a great team. This team is going to be great for a while. Uh, they might be taking over the AFC North, and if it's not them, it's going to be them against the Ravens, just like it was the Ravens against the Steelers it, it, for a while. I mean, it, it's looking pretty good in the AFC North. They have a lot of good teams there. Um, speaking of a lot of good teams in the division, the Patriots have been playing very, very well throughout the season, but this week, the Bills found out how to beat them. Uh, the first time ever that a team playing against a Bill Belichick coach team has not punted a single time the Bills turned the ball over once, turned the ball over on downs once in this entire game. That was the only time they were stopped on a fourth down. Otherwise, utter dominance, 33 to 21. A pretty easy win for the Bills. Pretty comfortable, maybe not easy, but definitely comfortable uh, within their range. They like they like games where they can score a lot and hold teams to pretty average amounts. And that's kind of where this is the ballpark they kind of want to be in in the 30 to 21 kind of a range. Uh, and 33 21 is perfect for them. And then I'm going to move on to the Buccaneers, who won 32-6 to over the Panthers. I'm just impressed because, first of all, well, they won by a lot. So, I mean, i got to be impressed somehow. But this was the first game Tom Brady's had on the Buccaneers where he's had a significant lack of weapons. Uh, ever since he's gotten there, they've surrounded him with a lot. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin is already enough. Then they added Gronk to that. I mean, 
the Buccaneers have three tight ends who could be starting on any team with with Grant Cameron Braid and OJ Howard, and yet only one of them can start. Uh, and other and I mean this season now he has Fournette, he has Evans, and he had Godwin out this week, and he adapted pretty well. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn played well instead of Leonard Fournette. Uh, Ronald Jones, same thing there. Those two as as running backs did quite fine. Uh, and he found other guys in the, in the receiving end, got Antonio Brown back, which was pretty important, and still had Gronk and Cameron Bray to throw to. So overall, I mean, just very impressed with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers for adapting to all the guys they had out this week. Uh, and moving on from that, the Chiefs dominated the Steelers. I could have put the Steelers on most disappointing, frankly, but at this point I've come to expect it from them. It is the third week in a row that they have, tra- or third road game in a row, I should say, that they have trailed by more than 23 points at the half. That is the first time that has happened all time. And it's crazy to know that that record for being so terrible was set by a team who's not even that bad. They're 7-7-1. Seven, seven, and one. I mean, I think we all know that the Steelers lack the luster for a 7-7-1 seven, seven, and one team. They definitely don't feel like they're in the in the range of teams like the Ravens, and they're really a lot closer than I thought they were uh, in terms of record uh, versus ability. But overall, the Chiefs just came out and won this game like in the first quarter. I think when it was 14 and nothing, I already I made the statement, okay, I'm turning this game off and watching the snow game because it's going to be more fun because Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to keep scoring. And honestly, I'm just impressed with the Chiefs' defense still. And speaking of guys out, Tyreek Hill was out, or Tyreek Hill was supposed to be out in this game, wasn't out. Uh, and then Travis Kelsey was out in this game. Mahomes has had some trouble throwing to the guys that aren't named Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey uh, so far this season. But this game, Byron Pringle play, played a great game, had six receptions and two touchdowns. And overall, the Chiefs just, I mean, they dominated the Steelers. There's no other way to put it. Uh, so good game by the Chiefs, and they're really, really rolling well into the playoffs. Speaking of a team who might be starting to pick up momentum... The Cowboys finally showed their dominant offense 56-14, to 14, their win over Washington. They played so well, they caused, team, they caused teammates uh, on the Washington defensive line, who were even college teammates, to throw punches at each other. That is how good the Cowboys were on offense this week. They embarrassed Washington, up 42-7 to 7 at the half. And not to mention, two of the touchdowns were scored on defense, one by a punt block and one a defensive tackle, or not defensive tackle, defensive end, Demarcus Lawrence with a pick six. That's pretty embarrassing if you're Washington that the Cowboys defense and special teams actually scored the same as your entire team. Uh, It's sad, and the Cowboys played very, 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 very well this week. Uh, I mean, look, there's nothing nothing you can say against they went 56, they won 56 to 14, and their offense was clicking. To be fair, some of these teams are getting blown out or having major roster issues, but anyway. Washington has some major roster issues, but they've also they've also had, I mean, the two guys that I was alluding to that were fighting, I've been starting the whole season. So the frustration lies with people who have been playing day-to-day, and also the Cowboys haven't had their full roster out there a lot either, and they're still dealing with some of those COVID issues. I mean, Mike McCarthy even missed a week, so they're kind of out of sync, and maybe this is them getting in sync against a pretty depleted defense, but 56 points against any NFL team is ridiculous. Uh, See Miami tonight if you want to see that even against a very depleted defense, you still might not put up a bunch of points. Miami only put up, I think, 20 20 points against the Saints, who didn't have three starting linebackers, a starting safety, and some corners. So uh, the Cowboys did very, very well. And again, I wanted to see them be in sync on offense. This was definitely that. Amari Cooper looked great. I mean, their whole offense looked great. Uh, so credit to the Cowboys for finally putting it all together. And then moving on, not so impressed with who they beat, 
But just the fact that the Eagles are somehow in playoff position, but with their 34-10 win over the Giants, they withstood an injury to their quarterback for a little bit. Gardner Minshew went out and won them a game. Now Jalen Hurts is back, and really, the Eagles might actually have the best rushing attack in the NFL. Uh, and that is something that not a lot of teams can say. You know, they kind of remind me a lot of the Washington football team from last year where you say, okay, this team's not going to beat anybody in the playoffs, but they do have one unit that is the best in the league, and that's really what's carrying their team. Washington last year was their defensive line. Uh, but this year, the Eagles might have the best running game. There is no one who can run a read option like the Eagles can. That's not even a question. They're, well, I mean, they're the only team who's running it. They look like, a, they look like a, I mean... You could tell me I was watching Army film if you put on an Eagles game for me. I, w I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but people can't stop it either. And also, they've started to sprinkle in the deep passing game a little bit. The Jalen Hurts-Devontae Smith connection is starting to build up a little more later into the season. And uh, I actually kind of like the direction the Eagles are going in. Again, I don't think they're dangerous enough to beat the Buccaneers or the Rams or even the Cardinals, even how they're playing. Definitely not the Cowboys in the first round of the playoffs. But I think they could give them a run for their money if they had them at home. They're not going to have a home game. That was the problem. Um, but overall, they're not too terrible. And frankly, I think they actually might be the only team in the NFC deserving of a playoff spot at this point, of that last playoff spot beyond those first five and six teams, if you include the Niners. All right. What about your most impressive players? This week was the best week for receivers that I've seen in a long, long, long time. Devontae Adams had 10 receptions, 114 yards with two touchdowns. And that, I think, was the third best game by a receiver this week. I have to go to A.J. Brown, who had 11 receptions, 145 yards, and one touchdown. And yeah, sure, he had less touchdowns than Devontae Adams. But the Tennessee Titans threw for 209 total yards. A.J. Brown caught 145 of those yards. That's insane. He almost, I mean, he caught near 75% of their total passing yards. That's an insane rate. You don't see that very often because, frankly, if one guy is catching that much, you could just you just guard only him and let everybody go open because no one else is getting the ball. Uh, but it didn't work. And, I mean, the Titans just gashed the 49ers pretty much only with A.J. Brown for an entire second half, and it led them to a very important win. Then you have to go to T. Higgins, who had 12 receptions, 194 yards, and two touchdowns. And then the only non-receiver on this list, the quarterback who threw T. Higgins all those yards, Joe Burrow, 37-46, 525 yards, the fourth most of all time, actually only short two yards of tied for second with Matt Schaub and Warren Moon, uh, and a few yards short of, well, not a few, actually a, a considerable amount, short of Norm Van Brocklin, uh, which that record has stood for a long time, and I don't know who's going to beat it because this is about as good as you can play, uh, and Joe Burrow still couldn't beat it, uh, and four touchdowns to go along with it, and a very important win to really put the Bengals in control of the AFC North, and we'll see how that goes for them uh, as we move on to the AFC playoff picture, where the Chiefs at 11 and four have clinched their division. Uh, can't say much about the Chiefs. I mean, they've just been winning a lot, and it looks like they're trending towards this one seed. Especially considering that the Tennessee Titans, who are at two seed, are the only other team with double-digit wins in the AFC with only two weeks left. Tennessee is the only team that's within two games of Kansas City. Kansas City plays the Bengals, who are currently in third uh, at 9-6 and six this weekend, and uh, or next weekend, I should say. And if they're able to win that game, now all of a sudden, none of the teams uh, can get to that, that, that number one spot except for Tennessee, depending on what they do. And I don't think that's going to happen, honestly. Uh, but moving on from Cincinnati, that was after that win. They moved to 9-6 and, and became the third seed. 
Buffalo, with their win over the Patriots, became the four seed in the AFC uh, and leading the AFC East now. Then you have Indianapolis, who said a long time ago they're just playing well enough that something is the chips are going to fall their way eventually and they're going to get in. Now they're at the five seed, the first wild card, nine and six, knocking right on the door of the Tennessee Titans. And I don't know if they play each other again, but uh, if they do, that might be an opportunity for the Titans to, or for the Colts really, to jump over the Titans. We'll see what happens. I actually don't know if they play each other. Uh, and then New England at nine and six, now in the sixth spot after that loss to Buffalo. Uh, then you have Miami with their win over New Orleans on Monday Night Football, moving into the seventh spot at eight and seven. Some crazy tiebreakers. Uh, a game that Baltimore really choked against Miami and just didn't play well is now is now looming large over the playoff race because Baltimore is now tied for seventh, but now they're in eighth because of that loss at eight and seven. The Chargers with their loss to Baltimore at eight and seven uh, are at ninth. The Vegas Raiders at eight and seven are tenth. Then you have Pittsburgh at 7-7-1 at 11th, Cleveland and Denver at 12-13 and 7-8, respectively. I would not be very surprised if the playoff picture stayed exactly the way it is right now. I would also not be very surprised if Miami, with their tougher schedule over the last few weeks, gets jumped by either Baltimore or L.A. Um, But Baltimore has a tough game against the Rams this week, and if they don't get Lamar Jackson back, they're not going to beat the Rams, who are still fighting for their division Uh, and frankly could be a better team overall. So, uh, I mean, Miami might have an open door there, but Miami plays Tennessee and New England to end the season. So there are some tough schedules there, and frankly, that might even leave the door open for a team like the Raiders, who has an opportunity to beat the Chargers and take a spot from them in this race. Uh, And then you also have those teams under who still kind of have a chance in Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Denver, although really their roles are just to mess up other teams while pretending that they have a shot just because some math random equation says that technically they can jump Miami if this, 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 and this all happen. But in the NFC, I should have said this last week, Green Bay, I actually, I might have, but I'm just going to clarify, Green Bay became the first team to clinch their division and the playoff berth. Uh, They were the first team to do both this year with their win last week. And then now the number one seed still 12 and three Dallas at number two, who clinched their division at 11 and four. And quickly, before I move on to the Rams at the third spot, fun fact, there has not been a team to win the NFC East consecutively since 2004. The Eagles have won it six times, the Cowboys have won it six times, the Giants have won it three times, and Washington has won it three times. Not a single time has there ever been a repeat champion. And in fact, even if you consider how dominant it feels like Dallas has been, They've actually only won once in the past three years. The Eagles won it two years ago, and Washington won it last year. So, uh, ironically enough, Dallas is not maybe not as dominant as you think. And the last team to win uh, any two two or more in a row were the Eagles up until 2004, where they had won, I believe, four division titles in a row. That is the longest streak of all time, 17 years without a repeat champion in the NFC East. Then you move on to the LA Rams in third, who after the Cardinals uh, with probably one of the worst two-week spans of all time in terms of contending teams, uh, lost two games in a row while the Rams won two games that maybe, frankly, they probably shouldn't have beaten the Vikings the way they played. Um, but 11-4, and four, and frankly played a close game against the Seahawks too, uh, but played enough, played well enough to win. They're now 11-4 and four at the third seed. Then you have Tampa Bay in fourth, although they have, and by the way, the Rams have clinched a playoff spot, but not the division yet, obviously, because the Cardinals are still there at 10-5. and five. Uh, Tampa Bay has clinched their division and a playoff spot, although they're still under the Rams in seeding at fourth. 
Then you have Arizona, who has clinched their playoff berth finally, even though they didn't do it by winning a game. They had to rely on other teams losing. Um, but they clinch it at 10-5. and five. They're in fifth currently. You have San Francisco at 8-7. and seven. Somehow San Francisco is now tied with Philadelphia uh, at 16. <laughs> That's just funny to me. Um, but... I mean, it, it's inexplicable, but still, I feel like the 49ers are, are in a good position other than the fact that they do play the Rams, uh, but we'll see what happens in that game as they do play them on the road, but I think they'll be, I think they'll be able to get one more win because if you look at the rest of the NFC, all the teams still in contention are 7-8 and eight or 6-9, and nine, and frankly, none of them are too threatening, especially to the 49ers. I would say Minnesota's probably on the same level as a team like the Eagles um, at 7-8, and eight, and they, you know, have just had their issues late in games. But Atlanta and New Orleans at seven and eight are not on the level of Philadelphia, and Washington at six and nine has no chance. Uh, I mean, they technically do have a chance, but not a big one. Uh, although Washington can really throw a wrench into everything if they beat Philadelphia at home this week. If they knock them down to eight and eight, all of a sudden you might see some chaos, especially if Minnesota could also pull an upset at Green Bay, which would also put the one seed up in the air. And look, there are a lot of scenarios that could happen. So ironically enough. I just ran an interesting playoff scenario. I don't know why, but I, w- I wanted to look at the playoff scenarios and just see what would happen if I ran just who I think is actually going to win every single game next week and then the week after. And then I left the San Francisco-LA game untouched until the end. And you can really see the impact one game can have. I was just talking about it with that Washington-Philly game. In scenario A, LA wins, and you have Green Bay in the first seed. You have Tampa Bay at the second you have Dallas at third, L.A. at fourth, then you have Arizona, Philadelphia, and New Orleans, uh, and then sixth seed, the Philadelphia gets to play Dallas instead of Tampa Bay because of the head-to-head win over them, uh, and then that would actually knock San Francisco out of the playoffs because of some random head-to-head, or actually, no, sorry, because of best win percentage in conference games, which I think is hilarious because really all that says is I play in a bad division and therefore I have easier games <laughs> within the NFC because if you're 40, if you're the 49ers, you say, well, if we played Washington and New York twice a year, maybe we'd have more wins than playing LA and Arizona twice a year and even Seattle, who's okay. Uh, and then in scenario B, you have the same thing where you have the top three of Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and Dallas. But all of a sudden, if San Francisco wins at LA, you have Arizona winning the four seed and playing a game at home against LA. While LA sits at the five seed, not a division winner, San Francisco goes from out of the playoffs to in the six seed, and the Philadelphia stays in the playoffs, but New Orleans falls out at falls out of the seventh spot as Philadelphia takes over the seventh spot. Although I will say one thing about these scenarios is, Ironically enough, Philadelphia seems like they're the one team that doesn't get affected very much um, by what other teams are doing, but I don't even, I don't know exactly, I mean, again, it's just because of that whole conference win percentage tiebreaker, and uh, this is contingent on that win uh, by Philadelphia over Washington next week, which who knows if it will happen, and obviously, if you actually looked at the records that are in this simulation, frankly, I don't know if Arizona won't won't just lose out, I mean, it's possible the way they're playing, Um, but Overall, uh, it's an interesting scenario, and I think I have seen, though, that the Eagles and the Saints are actually the only teams that do control their own destiny. If they went out, they're in, although that was entering Monday Night Football, and now, obviously, with the Saints' loss, I don't think that's true anymore. But overall, I mean, this is just crazy, and when you look at the teams that are going to make it in the NFC, you're looking at the Eagles, you're looking at the Saints— if it's not one of those two, it's Minnesota, who hasn't won a close game all year and definitely can't go on the road and beat 
Tampa Bay, Dallas, Arizona, or LA in a playoff scenario, uh, you're going to see one team that probably won't play very well in their playoff game at least. So it's an interesting NFC. Uh, I, I wish maybe one of the AFC teams could trade with Philly this year or something just to keep Philly out of the playoffs and maybe, I don't know, put Baltimore in if they don't make it. That would be, I mean, honestly, side tangent for a little bit as, as we near the end of the podcast. If the Eagles make the playoffs and the Ravens don't, I don't know what the football world will do, but I don't exactly know how you can react to that. And frankly, I don't know how you react to it if the Chargers don't make it, but the Eagles do too. It's weird, but this is what happens, and the NFC is really just not as de- it's not as deep as the AFC is. And also, if you look at the AFC, you have rookie quarterbacks, you have Mahomes, you have you have Joe Burrow, who's a second year quarterback, you have Josh Allen, who's only in his third or fourth year. This th- this stuff isn't going away. I mean, Tua's also in his second year; he's in the same class as Herbert and Burrow. Those three guys aren't going away for a while. The AFC is going to look like this for a very long time, and frankly, the NFC might look pretty down on itself for a while, but it's going to be a crazy last two weeks. Watch all the games. Look at how random scenarios of, I don't know, the Texans winning some random game might affect the conference win percentage of someone or the strength of record in the tiebreakers. The NFL is crazy. And that's what the NFL wanted when it added a playoff team and added a week of action. So uh, we will be following the NFL in the coming weeks on the podcast, but that wraps up our look at the NFL for this week. It also wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be at a special time due to New Year's Eve being next Friday. Uh, We will broadcast the next podcast, so we'll podcast uh, next on Saturday, January 1st. And in that podcast, we will focus on basketball with our weekly analysis of NBA and NCAA basketball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his latest NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday, and his next bracket, which will be posted tomorrow, and finally his predictions for every college football bowl game, including the college football playoff semifinals, which will be updated throughout bowl season based on player opt-outs. All of that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.